I think that a lot of climbers innately find what they're predisposed or generally good at and kind of want to stick to that because it feels good to climb your best. But I think it's good to find areas of weakness and areas of your climbing that you're not as good at. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show's Pro Clinic on improving your anti-style with one of the sport's biggest rising stars right now, Cameron Hurst. Now you surely recognize the name Hurst as his dad, Eric Hurst, has been a repeat guest on this podcast, a frequent contributor to climbing publications, and of course, an author of numerous training and performance books. So Cameron's been observing and absorbing climbing science since before he could walk, and he was climbing hard when the rest of us still had training wheels on our bikes. At just nine years old, Cam climbed his first 513, a grade that I'm still trying to break into, and then he ticked his first 14A at just 11 years old. Through dedicated and detailed attention to his training and technique, Cameron has steadily risen through hard boulder and sport grades, culminating with an elite sending spree just recently where in about a month's time, Cam sent three 9A 14D routes, Smoke Wagon in Vegas and Southern Smoke Direct and Zoolander in the Red River Gorge. Prior to that, Cameron sent his first 9A plus with Bone Tomahawk and then just recently repeated that rare grade with the 515A first ascent of Martial Law. Now that's an impressive tick list for sure, but as you're going to hear in this chat, it's all the more impressive because some of those sends were in Cam's anti-style, which is what he's here to talk about today. In this pro clinic, Cameron breaks down common challenges and offers up pro tips for beginner, intermediate, and advanced climbers. Whether you're not even sure what your climbing anti-style is, or if you've hit a big plateau and you're just looking to bust through it, Cam's background as a pro climber, personal trainer, and student of exercise physiology weave together beautifully today, resulting in a pro clinic that is equal parts informative, actionable, and inspiring. Whatever your weakness or your anti-style is, get ready to look it straight in the face and start embracing it. This pro clinic is made possible by patrons and subscribers of the show. If that is you, thank you so much. I love you. You get access to this entire episode as well as the growing library of pro clinics and ad-free extended episodes. Now, if you're not a patron or Apple subscriber, I still love you, and I would love for you to consider joining the Struggle community. I'm going to tell you more about that in a little bit here, but first up, let's ante up on our anti-style with Cameron Hurst. All right, man. I'm uh, I'm psyched to see you, dude. I guess the last time I saw you in person was out here at the Red. Uh, we had gotten some Mexican food to celebrate what was your second 14D of the trip. And then, of course, um, you know, just a month before that, I was actually there for that, too. A month before that, out at um, Potosi in the Clearlight Cave, you did Smoke Wagon, which was your first. So, so that's three 14Ds in about a month's time. Hell of a sending spree, man. And, and I know you were working hard on a lot of that. And some of those were um, maybe not your style, right? A, a bit of anti-style. So th this could be a good place for us to kick off this conversation here. Uh, were you training specifically for those? H how did those come together? So I uh, worked a uh, smoke wagon like the prior winter. So right on the 2021, 20, 2022, like cusp for a couple weeks and then a hold broke. And I thought that it would be unclimbable and it obviously wasn't, but like I got unsyched and I had to start a school semester. But 
I was, I planned a trip back to Potosi to climb with friends and to possibly get back on the trip. After a year long mission of trying to improve a large weakness of mine, which was like long resistance climbing and Smoke Wagon and Southern Smoke Direct are both like very resistance routes or resistance oriented type routes. They're long, there's rests, but they're not the best rests since they're kind of like hustle routes. And historically, those are not routes that I would pick as like a limit project just because they would take way longer to do than a route that would be of my style. And sure. what my style historically was like physical, short, power endurance routes that had hard moves on it. So a little and, closer to Zoolander then, then. Yeah, a little closer to Zoolander. And that's why I was able to do Zoolander in only a few sessions. Cause that was like, like a perfect route that would be of my style. And it was just, I was lucky enough that I had just enough time after sending Southern Smoke Direct of my like week and a half trip to the red to get like enough sessions to do that. But to like encapsulate that sending spree, it kind of came together in a perfect way, considering a lot of aspects of performance. So like all of 2022 was focused around building up that anti-style. So like my training was kind of strength maintenance training and the majority of the aspect of my training and also projecting was like building up my aerobic base underneath of my current level of strength. And I think that was something that was really needed in my climbing as a professional climber that needed to take place at some point. And I figured like this year would be a good time to do that. And like, I kind of reaped the benefits of that. Yeah, it was a really cool month of climbing and it was just like reaping the benefits in a short period of time of like a year long effort. And then now in 2023, my goal or my macro goal was, okay, I built my aerobic base up to basically the maximum amount of what I could do under my current level of strength. Sure. And then this year is gonna be focused on maintaining the aerobic base that I built and like leveling up my max strength by doing bouldering training and doing a lot of strength training to kind of push my bar up for max strength. So then my level of aerobic base can broaden under that even greater. And Hell then yeah. that's what's going to bring growth in the future to my climbing. Right. You've got this bucket, right? Like you've got like a strength bucket that you've built. And so you can fill that up as much as you can with some mm -hmm. aerobic capacity only to a point where then at some point in time, the bucket needs to get bigger, right? And so exactly. building that bucket bigger is essentially getting stronger. So then you can fill up more aerobic capacity yeah. underneath it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And does that apply to everybody? I mean, you know, me climbing 512s or somebody who's climbing 510s or even 515s, is that concept the same? Yeah, it's all relative to your max level of strength. Like if you were to think about it for, let's say you, you're like a 512 plus 513 minus climber. Like, I don't know what your highest like bouldering grade is, but like, let's say arbitrarily speaking, like the roots on 40 ounces of justice at the red, you're doing consistent, like V2, V3, maybe like one little V4 crux or something. And like the majority of the movement of the route is like at this low threshold and you're just climbing forever. So in theory, if your max level of strength, like for example, if I got on it and I can do B double digit boulders, like those movements are so low relative to my max level of strength that I could just climb the route on site it and not really get pumped because that level of intensity is so low. Sure. But if you were to go on a route like smoke wagon where you're doing V6, V7, V8, like consistently over 120 feet of climbing, well then that level of intensity is getting closer to that ceiling and you get pumped, you get acidity and 
you can't maintain that level of intensity for forever. Right. And so the only way to do that is to get stronger. So if I'm going to do like resistance 515A, 515B climb that has rather than V7 or V8 boulders, it's more V9, V10 boulders, I need to get stronger in order to climb through those boulders end over end over the route. Got it. And then also at the same time, as you were saying, you have to train up that other energy system. So you could get, if you looked at a pure boulder or somebody who could pull, I don't know who the example of this would be, Daniel Daniel Woods when he hasn't climbed sport in years or something like that. So the guy can pull V double digits all day long, but the routes he would be able to do would have to be closer to Zoolander than something like mm-hmm. Southern Smoke, right? Because he just yeah. hasn't worked that energy system. Yeah, that's a smart comment to make. So like, obviously what I was just explaining is it just sounded like you just got to get stronger and then it will help your sport climbing. And I think for a lot of people that predominantly sport climb, emphasis on predominantly, the getting stronger is what's going to continue to increase their ability in sport climbing year over year. However, for someone that's a predominant boulder that doesn't do any aerobic training or sport climbing at all, they don't have the energy system adaptations for sport climbing. They're not used to recovering on the wall. They're not used to climbing acidity. They don't have those micro adaptations like capillary bed density and mitochondria density, which help circulate blood flow more rapidly and readily to the muscles and also buffer the blood lactate out of your muscle cells, which makes you feel pumped. So those adaptations take years on end to develop, and you only get that for someone who's sport climbs predominantly. So someone like Daniel who climbs V16, V17, and can flash V12s all day with his eyes closed, he'll still need this extended period of time of sport-specific training and endurance training to build out that aerobic base under his high level of strength in order to accomplish like 515 level sport routes that aren't just like a really messed up boulder problem to like easy climbing or something. Right, like right. That. Or like a super sharp, no. like essentially a highball, yeah. but that has one yeah. bolt in it or something like that. So yeah, yeah dude, I love this. I, lo- I mean, we're already jumping in. This is, you came prepared and I dig it. Let's just keep this train of thought going here. But I guess before we get specific into like the beginner, intermediate and advanced climber through this lens of anti-style or strengths and weaknesses or however you want to shape this, you mentioned that your weakness historically has been these longer, more resistance type climbs, and you really put a lot of focused effort on bringing that lever or that bucket up over that last season, which then resulted in that sending spree, which is the proof is in the pudding there. But I'm curious, kind of on a maybe even a bigger picture level, just in terms of the concept of anti-style, would love to hear a how you would generally define that for anyone. I think we know what your example of that is for you, but just what is anti-style? And B, what does it take to to focus on that? Because I certainly know what my anti-style is. And mm-hmm. every time I walk into the gym, if I see a sloper problem, I'm walking in the other direction or something with bad feet, I'm walking in the other direction. So it's one is figuring out how one identifies their anti-style, what that even means. And then two is, finding the the motivation or the psych to be able to then actually stare it straight in the face and say, all right, I'm coming for you. Yeah. So, I mean, to define an anti-style, I think it's once you get to a certain level of climbing, obviously like a a beginner climber isn't going to have an anti-style because they're so new to the sport that they're not proficient at anything yet. And they're going to need to climb for a year or two in order to find, okay, what things do I naturally 
feel like I can accomplish and feel good on? And then what things do I tend to stray away from because I'm not able to succeed on these? So I guess you said pinch problems. And for me, it's more resistance oriented climbs historically. And I also have other things that I would consider anti-style. But like just to define it, like generally speaking, would be just something that like if you would look at your climbing as a whole, the things that you're disproportionately bad at compared to the things that you're good at. So just to kind of um, play on that for a second, would that also then likely be the thing that's limiting you in what you're trying to do? Or could it be something that is that you basically just fully ignore? I guess, so we'll take yeah, a specific yeah, yeah. example for me. So there are things that limit me on the re- on the climbs that I get on at the red. And that's typically like a hard boulder problem in the middle of the route somewhere because mm-hmm. I'm not a very bouldery climber. I like jugs for days and, and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to work on some overall power mm-hmm. and strength and that kind of thing. But then there are things that I just don't encounter really ever when I go to the red, but I did oh. encounter like when I went to Leavenworth, which is like yeah. granite, more yeah. kind of vert or slab, techie feet that you barely can see you know and so like that was like i really felt like a fish out of water there so i don't know if those would all be considered anti-style or just like maybe some are more apparent than others yeah i think that's a good analysis like i mean as a climber especially if you're someone that's bound to a specific area and you climb mostly at let's say the red you're going to get really good at the style of climbing or at a single style of climbing or at a single couple styles of climbing And unless you have that um, ability to travel around a lot and get exposed to a lot of different styles of climbing and hold types and rock types, you're going to get good at one specific area of climbing, but there's this, there's an infinite, almost other styles of climbing. And it's rare that someone that only climbs at a certain group of areas is able to perform at a high level equally to that of their home area. So a handy style could be something that you're just not exposed to as a climber. And it's a skill that you haven't developed. Like if you're someone that has never been to rifle, let's say, and you never knee barred, you're going to get shut down a little bit on finding knee bar rest because a lot of the routes were done with knee bars in mind and they're going to feel epically hard to you. So then that could be an anti-style and all that you have to do is spend a good amount of time working that craft out. And then there's also the other hand of kind of lapses in training or emphasis on improving that specific part of your climbing. Let's say if you're a Red River Gorge climber and you're just looking for those juggy climbs, but on your days that you're not climbing or your training cycles, you're not focusing on getting stronger at doing hard moves, which will help you climb at the red because then the moves will feel easier on your project. Like that, I guess, is also considered an anti-style and that's different than a stylistic anti-style. It's just a lapse in training or ignoring a certain aspect of training that could be beneficial to your progression as a climber if you want to progress. But I think that a lot of climbers innately find what they're predisposed or just generally good at and kind of want to stick to that because it feels good to climb your best and feel good climbing. But I think it's good to find areas of weakness and areas of your climbing that you're not as good at and get better at them because it makes you a more well-rounded climber. It makes you a more experienced climber. And I think that a lot of different areas can teach you new tactics that you could apply to like an an area like the red or your home area. And one of those stylistic anti-styles that I kind of learned from traveling is out West in the Western United States, a lot of the more difficult routes are in caves and cave climbing is way different than steep climbing at the red, Hmm. like horizontal or 
almost horizontal cave climbing is fundamentally different than just doing like a steep climb in the mountainous cave. And to explain that for someone that's never climbed in one of those steep caves out west or in other areas of the world, is there more 3D climbing? You're using more than just like the tips of your shoes or your heels. You can use toe hooks or you're doing bikes and you're doing all the stuff with like, like opposing your hands and feet right. in order to maneuver out the cave in an efficient manner to send. And although most climbs at the red, you don't need to do many toe hooks or bicycle moves. I found when coming back to steep routes at the red, I can get these micro improvements of efficiency through moves by doing a toe down and then a toe hook smear under like those sandstone, like mini like pillars of ledges that kind of like go down the wall if you think about it. Right. And that could be a really good opposition to get to clip where you don't have to contract your core as much and pull as hard with your arms to get in that position to clip. And if you just do that little micro bike on a toe and then like in like a little pocket divot or like indentation on the rock, which is very common at the red, then I could clip way more efficiently and move through the route faster. And I would have only have thought to think that way by climbing in these other areas and developing those skills in order to succeed at the caves out west. And then you've taken this like new knowledge of climbing and applying it to a new area and you can climb more efficiently. I love that, dude. First of all, I mean, you just nailed that, that concept there for me and probably for a lot of people who are listening right now, because it's an ego hit essentially to, to mm-hmm. not only identify an anti-style or a weakness, but then to say, you know what, I'm going to go after this for a while. I mean, you might be a V6 boulderer, but you know, doing V2 or V3 sloper boulders, if all you're used to is doing cave type boulders or whatever, or vice versa. And so there's a little bit of an ego hit to that. But if you can keep your eye on the prize, which is what you just, I think, highlighted so well, is that working the anti-style doesn't just mean, oh, I'll be able to go climb climbs that are like this. It means you get this whole new toolkit, this like level up thing that you get to unlock that now, even when you're climbing the stuff that is quote unquote, your style, you're going to recognize new efficiencies and new benefits to that, mm-hmm. as you just highlighted cool. from going like roof climbing into just steeper climbing at the red. I love that. And I've never heard it phrased that way. So I appreciate you doing that because it's, we tend to silo things. We tend to silo like, oh, I'm not good at this, or this is my anti-style and I don't really want to climb those routes. So I'm not going to focus on that. And I get it for some people, you're just busy and you want to go out and climb fun and whatever's easy. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's me sometimes. Like I got kids and I don't have a lot of time. So I just want to get on routes that like, I feel like really? I'm performing yeah. at a high level on, but yeah. this idea of finding a season to saying, no, let me go after some things that I'm a little bit uncomfortable doing, but that will ultimately help me to level up. That's not just like training stronger fingers. That's literally trying to learn new skills, new tactics, new, new movement, and probably new types of strength or muscle groups or energy systems to then take that back to what are my strengths and hopefully level those up. So that that's awesome. I love how you highlighted that, man. Yeah. And I think that like, what you just said about depending on who you are as a climber and like your life outside of climbing, everyone has their own like season for possibly getting better at things they're not good at. But like for a weekend warrior climber that works a nine to five or is a school student five days a week and they only have one or two days a week outside and they're going into their fall season and they know they have like six weekends to climb, like that might not be the best time to spend those six weekends working on an anti-style route just to get better at it. If that's what you want to do, that's great. 
But if I was that person, I would use those weekends of performance to send something that I could like perform at a high level at. And then like during the off season or during like a long training cycle, you can focus on building up things that you're not as good at. And I kind of wrote that in my notes for when we go into like the different levels of climbers. Yeah, let's dive into this because this is just like, it's already a masterclass, man. I'm loving it. So we're breaking things out to beginner, intermediate and advanced. And to your point, as you said earlier, a true beginner is maybe somebody who's just started, hasn't climbed maybe enough to even identify what a weakness is or an anti-style is. But I'll leave it to you to navigate. Maybe we look at true beginners and any tips that they might Mm -hmm. want to implement in their early climbing days and training, but then also maybe incorporate a little bit more of the, maybe they've got a year in or a year Mm -hmm. and a half in or something like that, where they've climbed enough where they maybe have been able to identify things that they're better at or not so strong at, but haven't gone much beyond that. They're not quite to the intermediate phase, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Like a beginner climber, I would say is someone that's in their first year or two of climbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you can progress beyond a beginner quite fast if you're someone that finds out about climbing, gets really psyched and is just like really trying to get better at it. Sure. But let's just say a beginner is someone in their first year or two of climbing in there. Their best thing, honestly, is to go climbing as much as possible. And the only way that you're going to get better at climbing as a beginner climber, in my opinion, is just going to the gym and trying as many different types of boulder problems that you can or going outside and doing as many different routes as possible. It's just exposure, exposure to the sport and exposure to as many different types of climbing as possible. But after that little intro period and you're psyched on climbing and I guess you're psyched on getting better, I think it's pretty lucrative for beginners to start focusing on different technical aspects of climbing that they could improve upon at the gym, whether that's like heel hooking or turning your hips to do movement rather than just like thinking, okay, I need to get to the top of this climb Mm. and I just want to get to the top and do the hardest climb possible for me, let's say. And I think it's good if you're someone that has a gym membership or goes climbing often as a beginner to focus on little technical things that they could improve over time. And then that would in turn help them progress faster as a climber. So I think because beginners are kind of weak at everything because they're new to climbing, focusing on technical things rather than strength based things is very smart for the development of the climber in the initial stages of climbing and also not getting a huge injury because they just got into climbing and they know they heard about hangboarding and they're just like, I need to get stronger fingers because like all the strongest climbers have finger strength. Right. And like, although that will help at some point, that's not going to make the difference in your climbing if you don't know how to climb. Just in terms of kind of that example that you just said there, and I love, again, like I think you're highlighting something important and also something that we don't hear as often. Often what we hear is stronger fingers. That's what's going to fail is the finger flexors and this kind of thing. But in that first couple of years, if I'm understanding correctly, let's say I can climb a V1 at my gym and they're all pretty big buckets, which means you've got big feet and all these things. And so you could climb it like a ladder. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't require a heel hook. Let's say that you're saying find an opportunity to throw a heel on that route. You don't have to go find a V4 and try, you know, that might require a heel. Yeah, exactly. You can try it on the easier. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And like usually the V1s and V2s or whatever of the climbing gyms aren't set with those technical things at mind, like like a V6 or a V7 or whatever in the gym. Like the setters 
say like, oh, we're going to throw a heel hook here. We're going to throw like a bike here. We're going to throw a toe hook here because that's part of the climb, but they're not going to do that for those very introductory levels of climbs because they know that they don't know how to do that. But I think like there is steep V1s and V2s in the gym or even V3s that you could do a heel on and like you could watch a video or have a friend that's more experienced than you teach you what a heel hook is. And then you could go on that climb and probably find or have like a friend help you get into the position of a heel hook and learn how to weight a heel hook right and pull off of a heel hook or use a heel hook for balance for like a move type of thing. And that's a, I think, I think that's something that can really expedite the advancement of a climber's technique if they focus on that or turning hips. Like a lot of, it's like not natural for climbers to turn their hips one way or the another or do a drop knee one way or another to climb because it's just not intuitive as a climber. Most beginner climbers climb very square and just thrash their way up the wall. Right. And learning to climb and turn your hips depending on which hand you're moving up and where the feet are is something that you can do on those routes that are more or less a ladder and it can help you be prepared for when you feel strong enough to go on the V4s, the V5s in the gym. And then eventually the roots in the gym or the boulders outside are going to get hard enough and the holds are going to get small enough where like getting stronger fingers is going to matter. And that wraps up your free intro here on Anti-Style with Cameron Hurst. I'm really sorry to cut you off right in the middle of such a great thought by Cameron there, but offering up these pro clinics is just one of the main ways that I'm able to keep the lights on over here in the podcast slash utility closet and keep making so much free content to put out to the community. Y'all, there's another 40 minutes or so of expert beta that Cameron is offering up covering intermediate and advanced climbing tactics and protocols to help us all level up by turning our weaknesses into our strengths. It is all there for patrons and subscribers, along with every other pro clinic and bonus episode that I've done, from ravioli biceps breaking down the moonboard, to Dr. Tyler Nelson on how to train powerful fingers, to Alex Johnson spilling the tea on how to go from gym to crag, and so much more. You can either subscribe right there in your Apple Podcast app, if that's where you listen, or if you're listening elsewhere, pop on over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check things out. For about the price of a cheap beer each month, you're going to get pro access, extended and ad-free episodes, swag, and maybe most importantly, you're going to be supporting the pod and the climbers who make it like me, who are working our harnesses off here to crank out this content week after week. And look, if you think it all sucks, then you can just quit anytime. No worries. There's really no risk here. Uh, Just check it out and get access to this and and so much more. I think you're going to love it. Let me know if you don't. Now, if you'd like to connect with Cameron directly, you can find him on Instagram at cam underscore Hurst or pop on over to his website, CameronHurst.com, where you can get in touch and perhaps even work with him as a coach if he has room on his roster. How rad would that be? Lastly, have y'all checked out The Struggle on YouTube? We're releasing two videos a week featuring the likes of Chris Sharma, who? Yeah, Chris Sharma. Alex Honnold, who? Okay, I won't play this game anymore because they're all big names. Hazel Finlay, Tom Randall, Alex Migos, Jonathan Segrist, and so, so many more. They're about eight minutes long and they feature really rad footage supporting the conversation that we're talking about, whether it's about training or managing fear or whether running is good for your climbing or not. 
All of that's up on the YouTube. The YouTubes? Sounding, I'm, I'm really sounding like a dad now. All of that's up on the YouTubes, kiddos. So check it out. Swing over to youtube.com slash at the struggle climbing show and let me know what you think. All right, y'all. The struggle makes us stronger. See you next week.